You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, Welcome to church. Uh, My name is JC. I'm the associate pastor here and uh, super thankful for the opportunity to teach God's word today. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Genesis for quite some time. We had Dr. William Federer come last week as a guest speaker to talk about the history of the Bible in America. And then today we're going to take a little break from Genesis. We're going to jump into a passage from Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. If you need a Bible this morning, just go ahead and raise your hand. One of our ushers will be happy to bring one to you. It's a lot more enjoyable when you can go through the Bible with us. So turn to Luke chapter 17. Uh, Luke is the third gospel in the New Testament. If you're not familiar to the Bible, no problem at all. There's a table of contents at the very beginning and or I'm sure a neighbor can help you find it. Luke chapter 17. We're going to be in verses 20 through 37, a light passage this morning on judgment, the rapture, and the coming of Christ. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Let's go. All right, let me pray, and then uh, we'll get into the word. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that we can sit together and worship the name of the King, Jesus Christ. Lord, it's your grace and your mercy and your banner of love over us that brings us into your kingdom. It's not our own righteousness. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. And yet, just as we sang, your arms are open wide. So, Lord, we come to that altar where the price for our sins was paid with your own life. Lord, I pray that as we get into your word, you would give us understanding through your spirit, that you would help me to rightly teach your scriptures. I am a sinful man teaching a perfect word, and I need you. Lord, I pray that although we sit here today within these church walls, that that is not where this message will stop, that it will go beyond the church walls for the purpose of bringing the good news that brings salvation to others when we leave. Lord, we thank you for the other churches in North County and around the world that are preaching your good news this morning, that are worshiping Jesus. Would you bless them and unite us? It's in his name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. It was Thursday. Well, I'll start over. It was early Friday morning. I had been exhausted from a long day. I went to bed at a decent time. And at 1245, I hear, Open the door. Daddy, the neighbors are being loud. Not unusual for us in our neighborhood. I know, sweetie. I can hear them too. Come on. I'll tuck you back in. Get my little nine-year-old Graceland tucked back in her room. And I can hear the neighbors. It's getting louder. And it's starting to pour into the street. So I'm like, "Ah, I should probably go out front and check. It's one of those things where I didn't want to go out and check. Wasn't properly dressed to go out and check. So I just open up the front door to see flames over the top of our fence line 
and people screaming and running and smoke filling the neighborhood. And our next door neighbor's house is engulfed in flames. And so I run into the house. I flip on lights and I don't yell very much as a dad anymore. <laughs> But at this point, it's 12.45 in the morning. I said, Jocelyn, you need to get up now. Kids, shoes, jacket, get out. We don't have time to grab stuff. Get out of the house. Dad's going next door. By God's grace, our neighbors got out, which was amazing. Our house was fine. Our family was fine. Everyone ends up being okay. But here's what I know after that early morning. I was not ready. I wasn't dressed properly. I didn't expect that to happen, nor could I have expected that to happen. That came upon us suddenly. Aren't you glad that Jesus prepares and equips his church for the return of Christ instead of leaving us going, well, we don't know what to do until he comes. Jesus helps us to be ready. And as we look at Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37, we get to be equipped with what it looks like to wait upon Jesus' return. And we're going to talk about the multifacetedness of Jesus' return. And Luke chapter 20 is a powerful chapter. To give you some context, the sermon title is called, Be Ready, Jesus is Coming. Be ready. What does that mean to be ready? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And the context of this passage is, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the final time. Two chapters later, you will see the triumphal, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, what we will celebrate in two weeks on Palm Sunday. And as he's headed toward Jerusalem, you can imagine with his popularity growing over the last three years between the miracles that he's been doing in healing the blind, the sick, the lame, raising the dead, casting out demons, showing his power over nature, his incredible teaching with authority. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people following Jesus everywhere that he goes. And on his way, prior to this passage, it says that 10 lepers, those who had leprosy, both Samaritans and Jews from a far off place go, Jesus, master, have mercy on us, heal us. And Jesus simply says the words, go and show yourselves to the priest. And they do. And all 10 of them are healed perfectly, but only one does what? Only one returns to thank Jesus. Jesus says, is there only one of you to come back? Well, know this. To the one, he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And here's what I want to encourage you. We are in a time period that is nuts. Like no other time. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. Here's just a few snapshots. The war in Ukraine. Next one. The earthquake in Turkey. By the way, earthquakes have increased over a 5.0 magnitude astronomically over the last 25 years. Another 6.7 in Ecuador last night. Next slide. The Iranian nuclear missile crisis. Iran has made it very clear that the sole purpose of them getting nuclear weapons is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. They say it publicly and openly. It comes out of the mouth of their president. It's wild. Next slide. Vladimir Putin. 
and the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi, teaming up, making Americans very nervous. Next slide. Next slide. <laughs> Next slide. Uh, Rachel Levine, the admiral of the HHS, meaning Health and Human Services, declared this week that in 2024 it is her goal to make child sex transformations normal for our society. Next slide. The ridiculous flooding that we've been having in California over the last month. Next slide. The Euphrates River drying up in the Middle East and the biblical significance to what this means. Next slide. A global pandemic which we just finished out like the world has never seen. These things matter. And it is just a crazy season. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but what you need to know is what the Bible says about these times. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 8, you can write that down if you're taking notes. Jesus specifically tells his disciples, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes and famines and pestilence. And then he says all these things. Everyone say all. all. Not just one. All of these things combined as you see them are the beginning of sorrows. Or maybe a better translation would be the beginning of the birth pains. This is not the tribulation period yet, but it is the beginning. We are in unprecedented times. And when we consider all those things that we're being bombarded with on a regular basis, it is so easy to consider, hey, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. And I want to encourage you. The message that Jesus has for us is pay attention to what's going on and know that there is still work to be done. That Christ has equipped you to be ready for his coming, but not looking forward to it so much that you lose sight of the work that he still called you to do in ministering to others because there are souls to be saved. Be ready, but be present. Be ready, but be in the moment. Be ready, looking forward to the return of Christ, but not losing sight of the souls that are perishing. Let it bring a sense of urgency to us. Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 17, verse 20. If you're there, give me a big amen. amen. Now when he, Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. Or indeed, the kingdom of God is within you or among you. Uh, a little bit of a humorous situation here. Consider this for a moment. The Pharisees for three years now have witnessed Jesus doing what? All kinds of miracles. They've listened to his teaching. They've watched him heal a man with a withered hand. They've seen him raise a dead girl to life. They've seen him raise Lazarus to life, which by the way, they plotted to kill Lazarus after that because word was spreading so fast. And now who stands before them? It's not a trick question, second service. They're like, who stands before them? Who stands before the Pharisees? Yes, Jesus, but tell me more. God himself in the flesh. And who are the Pharisees, by the way? The religious leaders of God's people. Do you see the irony? Oh, my goodness. The religious leaders of God's people go, when will the kingdom come? And Jesus would have an answer, and it would be what? 
what he has been teaching. The kingdom has already come. Because who is here? The king of the kingdom is here. You see, the Pharisees asked this question. When will the kingdom come? Now, that's a fair question. How many of you would like to know when Jesus is returning? Great, like five of you. And a yes, please, which is awesome. We'll take it. A better question for the Pharisees to have asked is, teacher, who is the king of the kingdom? Who is the king of the kingdom? Now, we know the answer. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. We all know that. That's not a surprise to anyone. But I want to ask you something. For those who are looking into your life, would they be surprised if you said Jesus was the king of the kingdom? Because we can have knowledge that Jesus is the king. But we also have to take a look at our life and go, is he really the king of the kingdom? Am I really able to go my time, my energy, my emotions, my love, my passions? They are centered around Jesus as king and not who is king. Myself. And it's easy to substitute those two, isn't it? Maybe not intentionally, but it's just easy for us to get wrapped up in ourselves or our own dreams or our own wants and desires or going after something that we know God has withheld from us, but we're going to make it happen anyways. And the Pharisees don't know that standing before them is the king of the Jewish nation and of the world. So that when they ask this question, Jesus gives them the response, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Now, what does that mean? Does not come with observation. It means it doesn't come by sight in the way that you expect it to, Pharisees or religious leaders or people of the world, because their expectation was something entirely different than what Jesus had actually brought to earth. They had a vision of a man riding in on a great horse a political or military leader. And what was that leader supposed to do for them? To overthrow Rome. And so you can imagine when they ask this question, when will the kingdom come? That there's a little bit, or maybe a lot of bit, of an underlying tone of disdain. Okay, teacher, when will the kingdom come? Because here's what I know. The kingdom hasn't come yet because I don't have my stuff. I don't have my position and rule in the new kingdom, assumed the Pharisee. I don't have affluence in everything I want monetarily in the kingdom, like it was in the glory days of King Solomon. I don't have the respect when I walk down the street where Roman soldiers and citizens bow to me instead of us having to bow to them. And Jesus says, men, women. The kingdom of God does not come with that kind of observation. Now, I want to encourage us this morning. The kingdom of God does come with a very specific kind of observation, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But I want us to understand what the kingdom of God is not and what the kingdom of God actually is. Because it is one of those phrases in the Bible that is often used. But if someone were to stop you and say, so what is the kingdom of God? How many of you feel comfortable answering that question? Well, that's not very many if you're actually participating. 
So this is good. We need to understand what is not the kingdom of God and what is the kingdom of God. So we're going to start with the negative. The kingdom of God is spiritual. It is not political or national. The kingdom of God is spiritual. It is not political or national, which simply means this. It is good for us as Christians, especially because we have the privilege of living in a democratic society, to pay attention to what is happening in politics and to participate. But do not for one second think that the Messiah or salvation or any kind of thing is going to come from a politician. Just not going to happen. Many of us know that. But let me encourage you. Is all your time spent watching Fox News? Is all your worry and conversation about whether Trump is going to get arrested on Tuesday? Are we overly investing in politics to the point where it consumes the conversation that especially we have with other believers and or that becomes our version of Christianity? Who are you voting for? Are you liberal or are you conservative? Oh, no. Here's what I love. You were here after third service last month. We did Q&A and uh, Pastor Dave got asked the question, if Jesus were here right now, would he be for the Republicans or the Democrats? I was like, yeah, that's a great question. He's like, give me the eyeball in the back. You put that one up there. And I loved his response. His response was, we're asking the wrong question. The question would be if Jesus was here. Would either the conservative or Republicans stand with him? And the answer is no, they would not as a whole, as a whole. See, we can't fit Jesus into our man-made political systems or any other kind of man-made system. What we can do is come under the lordship of Jesus Christ in order to submit to his rule and reign. Because remember, he is the what? He is the king of the kingdom. Jesus is not subject to us. We are subject to him. So when we consider the kingdom, it is not political and it is not national, which means the United States is not better than Uganda when it comes to the kingdom of God. Israel is not better than Germany when it comes to the kingdom of God. There are no borders in the kingdom of God because of what Christ has done. That's important for us to understand. Secondly, the kingdom of God is not economic and it is not environmental. Praise Jesus, it's not economic. Because that would leave a lot of the world out if we were trying to measure God's blessings simply by the finances of the world. And yet here's what often happens even in church. People get caught up in looking at the cars that we drive or the houses that you have or the amount of money in your bank account or your education or the way that you dress and they associate that with God's blessings. Romans chapter 14 verse 17, the apostle Paul says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It is righteousness and joy and peace from the Holy Spirit. It cannot be measured by the things of this world. It can only be measured by the character of God and his blessings. It's not economic. It's also not environmental, which simply means this. Back in Noah's day, Noah said, a flood is coming, and everybody laughed at him because it had never what before? It had never rained. Well, why hadn't it rained? Because there was a protective layer over the ozone of the earth in which everything stayed like a greenhouse. The dew 
was enough water for all the plants. Springs bubbled up from, from beneath. There was no rain. And life expectancy was about what? <laughs> A thousand years old, right? Has there been changes to our planet since then? Yes, which is why we're seeing the birth pains, the groanings as Romans talks about. We see the brokenness. And here's my point. You cannot save the planet through recycling. You cannot save the planet through taking away electric or gas stoves. You cannot save the planet by just driving electric cars. Now, I want to make it clear. We are stewards of the planet, so we need to steward it well. But by no means will salvation come or can we extend the life of the earth by buying into an environmental agenda. It just won't happen. The end is written. Lastly, the kingdom of God is not militant. It is not militant, which means you cannot force people to become Christians. Again, we know this in our brains, but have you ever tried to strong arm somebody? <laughs> One honest person. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we have aggressive evangelism and then we have invitational evangelism. Uh, it can't be brought in by a military, which means this. No matter what wars are going on, no matter what nations are battling, it will not be a fight, humanly speaking, that somehow brings salvation to people. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and the powers of darkness in the unseen world. The kingdom of God is not these things. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is spiritual. Well, what does that mean? That sounds really nebulous. Here's the kingdom of God. It's knowing God's heart. How do you know God's heart? Come on, church family. How do you know God's heart? Through his word. And when you know God's word, you know what? You know his will. You know his will for your life. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is when, as a parent, your child comes home and they have questions from their classrooms in which don't align to the scriptures. And the kingdom of God is being able to rightly parent that child and to show them the truth and to expose the lie. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is healing in the name of Jesus, both physically and spiritually. The kingdom of God is sin that separates us from God, losing its power through Jesus' death and resurrection. And people coming to saving grace and spending eternity with him. And I want you to know, as we look at the text, Jesus says, wow, we're in verse 20. The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. Meaning you can't go to a physical location. You can't go see someone who says they're Jesus. For indeed, the kingdom of God is where? Within you or among you, which means this. Jesus was among the Pharisees when they asked this question, and he is making the point. The kingdom of God is here now. It's here now. And yet, church, I want to encourage you. It's as much here now 
even though Jesus is in heaven as it was when he was walking the earth. It's the same. You have, through the Holy Spirit, the ability to understand the will of God. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us, understand the will of God. We do that through his word. Church family, the kingdom of God looks like this. Receiving teaching from God's word, applying it to your life, and then going and doing what with it? Sharing it with others and teaching people. And church, can I just say, way to go. Because you're doing that. We're watching it happen live. In men's ministry, in women's ministry, in mission groups, in young adults, in Awana, on Sunday mornings, I'm sure in other places, outside of church things, that is the kingdom of God. So that when we say it's spiritual, it just means that it didn't come in the way that the Jews thought it was going to come. It doesn't come in the way that the world thinks it will come, that somehow we'll fix the planet or somehow we'll finally get that leader that has both power and complete righteousness outside of Jesus that does not exist. But the kingdom of God is here now as much as it was when Jesus walked the earth in this text. The kingdom of God has come to rule and reign in our hearts first and foremost. And I want to make it clear. The kingdom of God is not soft. It is not fluffy. It is not nebulous. It is not whipped cream on a cupcake. Daniel chapter 2 verse 44. Let's read this with one loud thundering voice. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. The kingdom of God that is present now is the same kingdom of God that Daniel was talking about in chapter 2, verse 44. That is the kingdom that we are experiencing in the here and now and also what is to come. In the millennial, thousand-year, literal reign of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem and in eternity. That's what Jesus is telling these Pharisees in response to their question. Verse 22. Then he said to the disciples. Now Jesus is addressing his followers. The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And you will not see it. Meaning, you're going to want to see that king on a throne. You're going to want to see that perfect president. You're going to want to see you fill in the blank. And Jesus says, you're not going to see it that way because the kingdom of God is what? It's spiritual. It's happening first in here. And then you're seeing the manifestation of people ministering to people. You're seeing what happens when a community, even a church community is transformed by Jesus Christ. It starts shifting the culture in those people's lives. Don't for one second think that culture should be shaping the church. The church, through the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ, should be shaping the culture, the way we live, the way we speak to one another, the things that we look at and listen to. It's Christ who shifts culture. Jesus says, you won't see the kingdom of God coming like that. Verse 23, and they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. Uh, Jesus is talking about people who claim to be the Messiah or who claim to have the answer. And it's really interesting to me 
that Jesus speaking to his disciples is now warning them against who? The religious leaders or people who call themselves the Messiah. Because here's the truth. No one will be able to go, hey, listen, we found Jesus. And you're like, what? Crazy. No way. Where? That's not how this goes down. And Jesus is about to unpack how it will go down. But that is important for us, lest we be deceived. Matthew chapter 24, by the way, um, just a powerful passage about end times. I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you have not listened to our series called The Eleventh Hour, Pastor Dave takes five messages to unpack end times eschatology between Matthew 24 and 25. I would encourage you to listen to it. It goes into great detail. And I'm going to give you just a snapshot summary of what the end of days looks like. You have the birth pains. What period is that? That's now. That's happening right now. And then you have the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, in which all of those who belong to Christ Jesus will be caught up in a moment. And all those who are left will endure the seven-year tribulation. That seven-year tribulation is broken up into two sections. The first three and a half years, in which the Antichrist will be revealed. Everyone will think he's wonderful. And then he'll set himself up in the newly rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, claiming to be God, the abomination of desolation. And the last three and a half years of the tribulation will be hell on earth. God's wrath. 21 judgments, the seven bowls, the seven seals, and the seven trumpet judgments. If you don't know what that is, listen to that series from Pastor Dave, The Eleventh Hour. This can all be found in the book of Revelation. And after the final peace, that final day of the seven-year tribulation, Christ will return in glory to establish his millennial reign, a 1,000-year literal, physical, bodily reign from Jerusalem with the saints. That's us. And after that thousand years, Satan will be released from the bottomless pit in which he will deceive the nations. He will gather a great army and surround the holy city of Jerusalem. And in a moment, spoiler alert, God will consume all of Satan's armies in one breath with fire. Then Satan, death, and the grave will be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. And all those who have not washed in the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ as savior, repented of their sins and turned to him will come before God at the great white throne judgment. That's the snapshot of end times. You need that as we go into this next section of the passage. This is the meat of what Jesus is getting at. Are you with me? Verse 24, for as the lightning that flashes, out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. What is Jesus talking about? What is he saying? Here's what he's saying. When I return, the world will know it. Not one person, not a group of people, not a nation, not a political party. Who will know it? The world will know it. We're going to take a look at that in just a moment. And then he goes on in verse 25. But first, everybody say, but first. but first. 
interesting. He started verse 24 and said, hey, as lightning flashes from one side of the sky to the other, everybody's going to know that I've come. But before we get there, and you can just be, you can like feel the tension with the disciples of, yes, he's going to tell us when. Jesus goes, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. The kingdom of God requires a cross before a crown. The disciples are so excited, as they should be, about God establishing his kingdom on earth. But Jesus has to slow them down and go, wait, first, I'm going to a cross. First, I have to suffer and die. Disciples, have you forgotten your sin? Do you think that the blood of animals from the time of Noah and Moses, that they could somehow forgive you? The king of the kingdom must go to the cross, not only to be physically mutilated and hung, but to endure the wrath of God on your behalf, which separated us from him for eternity. That must happen first. I want to encourage us, church. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says, If anyone desires to come to me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross, how often? Daily, and follow me. Now, a quick distinguishing point. The cross of Christ is different from the daily cross we bear. The cross of Christ is the only one that can pay the penalty for our sins. But the cross we bear is the daily denial of ourselves in order to do the Father's will, as Jesus did also. Remember when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? He prays fervently three times. Father, if this cup of suffering, this cup of your wrath upon me can pass, let it pass. But what? But your will and not my will be done. That's the cross that we are called to bear daily. Not the cross of the once and for all sacrifice that only Jesus could pay for. We don't pay for other people's sins or our own. But we do follow in his footsteps, a cross before a crown, before we get to enter into eternal glory with Jesus. We are called to deny ourselves, to submit to the king of the kingdom, to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our life. And I want to encourage you here this morning, if, if you're new to church or you're trying to figure out what this is, here's what it looks like. That when the lust of the flesh takes over, for men, it's looking at women. For women, I don't really know, so I'm not going to pretend to say. <laughs> because I'm smart and I've learned from my wife. <laughs> Whatever it is, not giving in to that lust, not because, ooh, I got to try not to, I got to try really hard, I got to white knuckle this, I got to be a good person. No, because Jesus Christ has come and he has defeated the power of sin and death because he came first to suffer and die for our sins so that we no longer have to say yes to our flesh. It looks like the way that we spend our finances. Do we spend it only to serve ourselves or do we spend it to glorify God and to serve others? It looks like in the way that we speak to others, even when they've wronged us or hurt us, not retaliating, not seeking vengeance. This is what God calls us to do. When we pick up our cross daily, 
we deny ourselves and we live a life of repentance. Not one-time repentance. In a moment, we are saved. But what must we do over a lifetime? Pick up our cross daily, which means I have to constantly, every single day, come before Jesus and ask for what? For forgiveness and for his mercy, because I sin all the time. I wish I didn't. I wish that stopped. But this is what denying my flesh looks like. Instead of doubling down, it looks like being humble and repentant and then receiving the gift of God's righteousness upon myself. The cross before the crown. Jesus tells his disciples, which they don't understand yet. This is just seed planting. But he makes it clear to them. I know you want to see the throne. I know you want to see Israel on top. I get it. And that's not what you're going to see. What you're going to see is your savior hanging on a cross dead. But then raised up three days later. This is the kingdom of God in each of our lives. Death to self. Resurrection to Christ in us. Amen? Verse 26. Jesus now continues. And as it was in the day... Oh, sorry. I'm going to go back to 24. I don't want to miss this part. The return of Jesus will be swift. The return of Jesus will be swift, which means this. Jesus likens in verse 24 that his return will be like lightning. It will happen fast. And lightning shines from one side of the sky all the way to the other. Which means that at his return, when the tribulation period is over, and when Christ comes to establish his millennial reign in all his glory, it will be quick. It will not be slow. It will happen suddenly. Look at Revelation chapter 16, verse 15 on your screens. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Who's the thief? Jesus. That sounds weird to say, but that's what he's doing. Meaning, hey, I'm coming quick, right? If you knew that you were going to get robbed, you'd be ready. Be ready because I'm coming back quickly. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Right? I had to run back into the house on Friday morning, put on jeans and a sweatshirt, lest they saw my shame as I ran out. <laughs> right? Let us be watchful. What does that mean, watchful? Practically, it means to walk in the wisdom of God's ways. It means not only to be readers and hearers of the word, but to what? Be doers of the word. It means not only to go, I have the good news, but to also share the good news with others. This is what it means to be ready. It means to stand fast in the face of injustice, not necessarily with picket signs and loud voices, but with the character of God and yet standing firm. So that when someone says something in Jesus' name and it doesn't measure up to Jesus' word, what is our responsibility? We have to say something. We also can say that in love for the purpose of building that other person. Here's what I love. Uh, Our values here at the church are we care about people as the first one. Well, that sounds nice, but what does that actually mean? Why do we care about people? Because they're souls who will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. No other place. Heaven or hell. When it says we care about people, 
It's because they're not just a butt in the seat. They're not just somebody that we can get something out of. They are an eternal soul who needs Jesus Christ. Therefore, we care about people. The second value that we have is we value relationships because the best way to care for people is what? In relationship. Not shouting at other people. Not condemning them. Not getting on social media and blasting them. Not gossiping behind their back. Be in relationship with people, even hard people. If you've been with us through this Genesis series, Pastor, the last two messages Pastor Dave gave, I don't know about you, but I was like, passive aggressive behavior and don't avoid conflict. Amen? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) That's what it looks like to value relationships. Not to go, I'm done. I'm done. I'm finished with you. That's not caring about people. To value a relationship is to go, I know this is hard. I know this is awkward. I'd rather not have to have this conversation. But you're a sinner and I'm a sinner and we have to do this so that we can walk in righteousness with Christ. The last part of our values is we worship Jesus. It's great to care about people. It's good to have relationships. But if you don't have the king of the kingdom to point them to in his word, we're missing it. We worship Jesus, not church not a pastor, not a politician, not ourselves. We worship Jesus. His kingdom is coming swiftly. Jesus' return will be swift after the tribulation period. Jesus goes on in verse 26. He says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the son of man. Son of man is just a title that Jesus uses for himself as the Messiah. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until that day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the judgment to come, which means this. Is there anything wrong with getting married? Is there anything with buying and selling goods? No. There's nothing wrong with being in relationship with people, with going on about life. But know this, if you're not ready, what's coming? Judgment is coming. And just as it was in the days of Noah, who preached for 120 years the righteousness of God, and a flood is coming, come into where? Come into the ark that is being built, and you will be saved. Do you see the parallels between the gospel and what God was doing in that story? And for 120 years, Noah preached. That's what he was, by the way, as a vocation. Shipbuilding was not his thing. It's just what he got called to do. But for those 120 years... He preached the righteousness of God. Come into the ark. A flood is coming. And they laughed at him. And they went on with business as usual. And then God shut the eight of Noah and his family in. And as the rains came, what do you think happened? You think people came to the ark then? You think they were banging and scratching and attempting to climb on it? And it was what? It was too late. God is patient. He is not slow about his promises. But do not think that he delays. He is simply waiting patiently so that more people can be saved. But judgment is coming and it's final. Notice what he says in verse 27. And the flood came and what? Destroyed them all. Verse 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, 
If you've been with us in the Genesis series, how many of you remember the chapters on Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah? Amazingly, Lot was considered what? Righteous, which all of us are like, praise Jesus. I'm so glad Lot was righteous. There's, there's a hope, right? Um, if you don't know the story, go back and listen to it. It's, it's a great story. Um, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on that day that Lot went out of Sodom, when the angels went in and pulled and dragged him, his daughters and his wife out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at what it says. It rained fire and brimstone from heaven, and it destroyed them all. Guys, the return of Jesus will be global. It will be utter destruction for the world, for those who have not come to Christ Jesus. There will be no other opportunity. There will be no time to turn back and get things from the house to try to save possessions. There won't be that kind of time. And it's so important for us to understand that this will be a global event. Look at Revelation chapter 1, 7 on your screens. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And what? Every eye, Every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will what? Mourn. Why will they mourn? Because they weren't ready. ready. Because they weren't ready. They will mourn because of him, even so, amen. The return of Jesus will be swift, it will be global, and lastly, it will be final. It will be final. Verse 30 says, even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. After the tribulation period, when Jesus returns in his brilliant glory, bright shining as the sun, no one will go, who's that? When will the kingdom come? Everyone will know in a moment, everywhere around the world, the living and even the dead. Crazy. Now, Jesus is going to transition in verse 31. He says, in that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Now, Jesus is specifically talking to the Jews that when the abomination of desolation is set up, the Antichrist in the temple, and he claims to be God, Jews don't go back to your homes in Israel. Get out. Because the great persecution against God's people will begin. What is claimed as peace will turn into genocide. And Jesus tells his disciples or the Jews, don't go back. And then verse 32 is powerful. Remember Lot's wife. Do you remember Lot's wife? She was so close. So close. Even out of Sodom. Out of the city and she did what? She looked back. Now, it's really important to understand. This is not legalistic where she was like tripped, looked back, and that's not what happened. What kind of looking back did she do? It was a longing, a desire for the old life she was leaving. She wanted that more than where she was headed, and it destroyed her. Do not look back. 
for the Jews. Don't look back to Israel. Don't try and cling to what you wanted to see. Get out. For us in our own life, that means this. Those secret sins that we might be holding on to, that we indulge in every once in a while, that we don't want them to completely die because we actually do enjoy them. Let go. Don't go back to your old ways before Christ. Don't go back to the things in which he is redeemed and yet you resurrect. Don't go back. Don't turn back. Press on toward the prize, as Paul would say. Look to the kingdom or the king of the kingdom. I want to encourage you and just take a quick moment. There is a lot of talk so far about the tribulation period and judgment, and it is real, and it is coming, and it's swift, global, and it will be final. But here's what I love about Jesus using these examples of Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah's flood. In both, God's wrath is poured out on Christ-rejecting people in Sodom and Gomorrah and a Christ-rejecting world in those who are swallowed up by the flood, which tells us this, God's wrath is reserved only for a Christ-rejecting world. Which means you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sin, if you are under his lordship, if he is your king, then you will never endure what? God's wrath. Now that does not mean we don't go through hardship and trials, but that is a broken world with broken people or the wrath of man. But I want to make it abundantly clear. God's people do not have to endure God's wrath. And here's why that's so important. Because if it's true, what Jesus did on the cross, he didn't just die a terrible physical death. What did he endure? God's wrath that was reserved for me and you as sinners. Jesus endured that wrath upon his back so it doesn't have to be placed on ours. Therefore, when we see God's wrath being poured out on the world, that does not include who? Which is why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, that the church will be taken up before the tribulation begins because the tribulation is God's wrath poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. Does that make sense? That is so important for us to understand. It's what the Bible teaches. Verse 33. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. This is the upside down pyramid. This is the counterculture. This is what Christ comes to do. Clinging to our life means clinging to our flesh. The things that we want. Losing our life means denying our flesh. Coming under Jesus' lordship. And he rescues us. In one scenario, we are the Savior. In the other scenario, He is the Savior. And only one can truly save. To lose our life means to allow ourselves to die and for Christ to rule and reign, to be the King of the kingdom. Verse 34, I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. Um, that sounds weird. It's not. <laughs> Ancient culture, guys. Um, the one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. 
What is Jesus now talking about? He's talking about the rapture. He has been talking about judgment after the thousand year reign of Christ. Now he is talking about the pre-tribulation rapture. Jesus does this a lot. He'll give the entirety of a story and then he'll go back and give details about that story. And this is one of those details. There will be two men working, one unto Jesus and one unto himself. And one will be taken with the Lord and the other will be left to endure the seven-year tribulation. Two women will be homeschooling together, hanging out at a park together with their kids, making cookies together, one unto Jesus and one unto themselves. And one will be taken up in the rapture with Christ and united with him, and the other will be left to endure the tribulation. Jesus is making it clear. This will happen. And for those who are left, you will endure the tribulation, the seven years of God's wrath poured out on the earth before his thousand-year reign. Last verse. You still with me? Jesus now shifts again. And they answered, meaning his disciples, and said to him, Where, Lord? Where is this going to happen? Not sure they fully grasped his teaching. But I wouldn't have either had I been a disciple then. So Jesus answers them and says, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Um, If you were to read Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses roughly 20 through 28, it puts it in a better order than what Luke has it here, not because one is better than the other. This is just how Luke chose to record it. But if you look in Matthew 24, 20 through 28, Jesus is making this clear. False messiahs and preachers will come, doing many signs and wonders in my name, but do not go after them. Do not follow them. And here's why. Because those people are dead spiritually, and where there are dead bodies spiritually, there are dead false teachers preying off those who come to look and see what's going on. In other words, in our society, there are dead spiritual people peddling false gospels, prosperity, self-glorification, self-righteousness, get what you can. And all around them are vultures that are feeding off those people who come to investigate those messages, to be subject to those messages. And Jesus is saying, watch out for those religious leaders that eat the sheep instead of feed the sheep. If you're taking notes this morning, read Ezekiel chapter 34 in its entirety on a morning or evening that you have free, and you will see the difference between the shepherds that God condemns and the true shepherd, which is Jesus Christ. Church family, I want to encourage you. Not only be ready, but continue to be equipped. I cannot express for both Pastor Dave and I how exciting it is to see so many men, women, and children in God's word beyond Sunday mornings. Good on you for being here. Good on you for being part of midweek studies that's just going through God's word. And when we know God's word, we can know God's will. And when we can apply God's will, it manifests and displays the kingdom of God to others. Church family, be ready and rejoice, for Jesus is coming. Amen?
You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.